Hello, learners, and welcome to Learn On Podcast, the science show by kids for kids. I'm your host, John C., and I'm here today with a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. And John C., uh, this, this concept of for kids, uh, by kids, for kids, I think is deceptive because I actually think you're a leader in our Thank community, you. in our society. And, you know, I think that some of the greatest things that have been accomplished have been by people of all age, ages who have internal youth and are, are inspired to make a difference in the world. So for your listeners, I'm Gil Bash. My title is Chair of Global Health and Purpose at Finn Partners. And Finn is one of the world's larger uh, integrated communications organizations. I'm very, very privileged to work with people who share our passion around the well-being of, of people around this planet, both in terms of dealing with physical health and environmental health. Now, we have to remember that the planet doesn't need people, but people need the planet. And so I try to sort of walk the line or the, that tightrope between personal health and well-being, humanity's well-being, and our plan's well-being. We're interdependent. So you know, that's that's what I'm up to right now. I'm also editor-in-chief of, of, of a well-read digital platform called Medical Life, Medical with a K, uh, that I invite you and your listeners to visit. And I, I'm host of a radio show. So I really identify with what you're doing with podcasting. I understand you and your brother started the, 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 the show and it's been a great success. I guess I hope to get to your, your fame. My show called Health and Abashed, hosted on Healthcare Now Radio, is entering its third season next month. And I'm excited about that. I, they said I had a great face for radio. So I'm showing that that's true. So it's great to speak as a host to a host. Yeah, definitely very exciting. Super glad that you could share all of that. Uh, for our listeners, all of this will be linked down below in the description and on our website, and we'll get to talking more about that later. But first, to get into this idea of the interdependency between the health of people and the health of the planet, what first inspired you to pursue this and what is the connection between these two things? So that's a very complex question. It seems simple, but it's complex. I started first actually with my interest in the health of the planet and in my graduate studies looked at water policy and saw, saw water. It's not only intrinsic to our well-being, but also to political conflict. And we seem to forget that from as far back as biblical times with Abraham, that a lot of his conflicts dealt with wells. And so obviously the search for water in the in, in an arid part of the Middle East became a very prominent part of society's narrative. And I started to look at that. Later on, actually, I became much more hands-on involved in human health. And I put aside environmental health for quite some time. But you know, I've always been captivated by environment, both its beauty and, and sadly, uh, sometimes its devastation. So my journey into human health came through my own sense of frailty. When I was much, much younger, I was in the military for a number of years and, and was uh, severely injured. That resulted in about six months of rehabilitation. When I got out, I needed another six months of active rehab still. You know, so I could walk on my own two feet, but I was limited, quite honestly. It was a very humbling experience. I, I was never frightened. I don't remember fear. I was determined to get back into the same shape I was 
beforehand. But from that, I decided I really wanted to pursue more of a sort of a medical background aspect and um, was fortunate to do that. I, I went to, in my sort of military experience, went through the combat medics course, graduated as number one in my course and was reassigned to a special unit where I served and became a battalion level, it's a very senior battalion level medic, dealing with much more serious cases, including wounded evacuation. And I really saw human frailty of all different you know, types, not just you know, my own background or language, but others. I, I felt a connection to the broken human being, regardless of what flag they marched under. I saw that we were united. You know, the, as they say, all people bleed red. Um, um, and I, I really identified with that. I also identified from my own family background, which was a background of um, immigration and, and being a refugee. I identified with the fact of human suffering. And I saw how conflict or devastation or injury impacted not just the person involved, but the entire ecosystem of the family. And from there was just became an impassioned um, voice for trying to heal humanity and recognizing that policy and innovation, science were platforms of which I could marshal my insights and rally, in, in this case, business to address the pressing needs of our society. So that's how the genesis began. Now, along that way, I was very, very fortunate to have many people support me. And I, I say this to the to your listeners, perhaps some some younger, that we don't realize sometimes that people who are younger and older share our passions. And the success is getting clarity of what we need from people. So I was very fortunate in the earliest stages of my career to have people far older than myself want to support me and help me. And I welcomed that. And I had some wonderful mentors along the way who guided me and uh, offered me critique in constructive ways. And, and that really led to the foundation of my career. And also quite bluntly, a willingness to take great risks. I'm not gonna deny that. It's scary to take risks when you're a junior in high school. It's scary to take risks when you're a chair of an enterprise as well. Now, scary is scary. Don't think that it's scarier when you're younger and less scary as you get older. You just get better at tolerating fear as you go along the journey. Thank you for that. Yeah, I really admire what you do with the interdisciplinarity of health. And that's something that we love talking about here on the podcast as well, especially when considering how natural disasters, for example, scarcities that occur because of climate change can directly affect people's health on the macro and micro scale. And just to talk about that a little bit more, some buzzwords that you've used before to describe your work include biopharma, eco-health, and climate tech. So for people, especially our younger listeners who may not have heard of these terms before, have experience with this, can you please tell us more about what this means? Yeah. So one is eco-health. It's not a common term. I didn't invent the term, but I, I do deploy it and you know, call it a buzzword, which is there's no doubt about it. The environment impacts our health. So when I'm talking about eco-health and writing about that, and I, again, invite people to access my writings on, on Medica.life. I really believe that environment and, and uh, public health are intertwined. And we see this, people who are redlined, people of color, who have been forced to live in areas where perhaps the, the water quality isn't great, um, the air quality isn't great, 
um, we see a decline in their personal health. I want to give the listeners a, a really great example. Look up Flint, Michigan, where mm-hmm. it took forever. A pediatrician saw really children being hobbled, ill from the water supply. She actually, people don't know whatever happened to her. She was dismissed from her job. She lost her job. She had to move to find a, a way to practice medicine again. So she cried out for the children of Flint, Michigan, and was not only ignored, she was punished. So mm-hmm. eco-health is a, is a pressing public health issue. And it means that the environment, the ecology of our world impacts our health. And we need to take that very seriously. We need to take our water supply seriously, and, and we need to take our health seriously. So I do use the term because environment seems to separate us from it. You know, the Native American really understood the coexistence or the harmony between humanity and environment, echo health. That's why I use it. Climate tech. If you're thinking of a career or what to study in college, climate tech. If you're interested in engineering, if you're interested in mathematics, if you're interested in health, if you're interested in the future of the planet, climate tech, please. And I do think of Bill Gates's recent book, which is How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. It's a great book. I recommend people read it. And innovation, technology or industry has gotten us into the mess we're in. Technology can get us out of it. And so when I'm referring to climate tech, I'm referring to a few things. I'm referring to biodegradable products. I'm referring to renewable energy. I'm referring to alternative energy sources. I'm referring to alternative food supply. That's all climate tech. If you're interested in nutrition, consider climate tech. If you're interested in engineering of consumer products, you like Apple phones, climate tech. All of this is relevant. I'm not talking about just reducing our our carbon footprint in the world. I'm talking about inventing new ways, new pathways to address some of our pressing problems. I want to give some examples of that so it doesn't seem so abstract. There's a company called Fade with a P-H-A-D-E that's invented a biodegradable straw. It biodegrades over 30 days. This is really critical because straws, as we know, are plastic and they're dumped in the water supply, believe it or not. And they're a leading cause of death of sea life. We need to develop products that safely over a certain period of time are biodegradable. Shrink wrap, plastic wrap, everybody uses it in their kitchen, right? Got some salad left over, cover it with saran wrap, shrink wrap. You, you have things that need to be shipped on a pallet, use shrink wrap. Well, what happens to all that shrink wrap? It goes into landfills. It takes decades for it to dissolve. We don't have decades. So there are companies that I have visited around the world that are developing biodegradable shrink wrap. They, um, it degrades, it evaporates in essence over a specific time period in contact with water biodegradables, alternative wind sources, energy sources. We need to develop batteries that last longer. One of the rate limiting factors for electric cars is that the battery only lasts about 300 miles. We need to obviously perfect those batteries so that they last longer. And by doing that, we'll move people from fossil fuel cars to electric cars that will reduce the world's global footprint. Or Wind power. Wind power is actually, wind is infinitely available. Problem? What direction? How do we turn these wind power aspects? That involves technology. It actually involves our inventing drones 
and meters to measure wind power. And then looking at alternative sources of energy, the Earth's core maintains a constant temperature. It's called ground source energy. We have to make that affordable and easily accessed. So there's other alternatives to oil and gas to heat our homes or cool our homes. There's alternative sources to energy. When I'm talking about climate tech, I'm referring to all of those ideas that fit into that bundle. Biodiversity is a very important concept. We're playing with the biodiversity balance of our planet. And so when we take a look at building a new community or a suburban area, getting rid of a forest, putting in nice homes, condos, McMansions and so forth, we're playing with the biodiversity. I live in a neighborhood in, in central New Jersey. And since the pandemic, my neighborhood, which is near a forest, I don't want to say has been inundated, but I'm seeing an abundance of foxes, red-tailed foxes, coyote. I've always had deer, black bear, and other wildlife I didn't see in the previous you know, 30 years. Why? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. We're destroying their habitat. And, and so they're moving into our neighborhood. They don't have any choice. Where are they supposed to migrate to? So we have to give a lot more thought to biodiversity. A report came out a few days ago that said a lot of the wildlife that we coexist with on this planet will become extinct over the next decades. Now, we might say that's sad, but we have no idea how that biodiversity, that wildlife impacts our existence. So we've got to think through and understand the planet's biodiversity and guard that. And that's why I say in the catchy phrase, the planet doesn't need people, but people need the planet. That's my reflection on those um, jargony terms, biodiversity, climate tech, and eco-health. Yeah, thank you for all of that. I really do love that catchphrase. I was actually meaning to comment on it the first time, and then I had another thought. I think it makes so much sense the way that you phrased it. And actually, now that I think about it, I think in my personal life and at school, we've also been having these discussions related to these topics. I just didn't necessarily label it as such. Like, for example, in English class right now, we're writing an essay recommending a book to someone. And the book that I chose is A Long Walk to Water by Linda Sue Park. I don't know if you've read it. It's really great. I first read it, I think, in the fifth grade and then in middle school again. And then I recently reread it this summer with some free time that I had. It's really great for young kids too, but also just approaching it from a more experienced perspective. It really unpeels the layers of what water scarcity looks like, how it impacts people on so many different levels, um, people of different socioeconomic status, and how that can also affect things like education and health. These are some common themes that really resonate with the characters in the book. And then also for climate technology, I'm currently taking a class called Biochemistry and Human Nutrition. And we were just talking today in class about uh, the corn industry and how crops have been genetically engineered to prioritize yield and then also taste over nutritional content and how that affects both the climate because of the way that our farming techniques work and our health itself since we're compromising the nutrition of our food. So thank you so much for that explanation. I think it was really eye-opening and connecting a lot of things that I've been thinking about recently. And yeah, technology is definitely the future for fixing the problems that ironically technology has caused. So, yeah. well, you're yeah. touching on very important things. Again, when you're looking at yeah. how we're 
playing with crop yields, how we're mm -hmm. dealing with taste over nutrition. This is a great example of eco health, right? And you've brought in another aspect, which is economics. And a, a lot of our challenges in terms of the environment today are, are really driven by economic priorities. And we talk about another word, which is sustainability. Obviously, we tend to think about sustainability of our planet comes to grips. But if businesses wish to be sustainable, they need sustainable societies. They need sustainable planets. You know, we don't want to create businesses that will drive society out of business. And, and that's one of the challenges we're going to face. Just a perspective that you kind of touch on, which is the developed world is in some regards tapping out on its growth. I mean, I have an iPhone 14 Pro which I got a few months ago. Now there's an iPhone 15. Do I need the iPhone 15 and all the packaging that comes along with the iPhone 15? I'm a big Apple fan, and I know they're very sensitive to the environment, but I think we have to give thought and action to emerging nations. And if we're going to develop economically as a world, we need to ensure that emerging nations have a good economic and environmental foundation to stand upon. And so, you know, recently I just came back from Ukraine less than two weeks ago. We know about the Russian-Ukrainian war. We know about Russian aggression. We imagine civilians living in cities like Kiev or Odessa, others that have been bombed frequently. I was in a city that was bombed not too long ago. There were close to 30 fatalities. Russia claimed that there was a military buildup in that city. None of the casualties were military. There is no military in that city. It's a civilian city. It has no military value to them. It's random. What I will say from an environmental standpoint is because of the conflict in that nation, which was emerging, sewage is running down the streets. The pipes are broken. Sewage runs down the center of the streets. Garbage piles up. Electricity supply is intermittent. Water quality is questionable. And so we see that these conflicts, these geopolitical conflicts, are effectively war against civilian populations. And they're using environment as the bioweapon against these people. They're, you know, the, the risk of sickness and disease. So I apologize to your listeners, because I think my generation has left you with an awful mess, that I'm confident that your inspiration and desire to do better and the gifts of information and knowledge that you're acquiring, I, I have great confidence that you'll put it to good use. On my part, what I can do is highlight some of these problems, highlight that they are fixable quickly, and invite you and your friends and colleagues to engage. And I was very thrilled to enter into this conversation with you specifically, because I'm reminded in Montana of a group of high school students who took uh, the state to court and won their battle to improve the environment or protect the environment in the state of Montana. And it was a group of high school students who led the charge. People of all ages need to engage. Don't let your youth become an excuse from doing what is necessary. And in fact, you have more at stake than anybody. Definitely. Thank you so much for that. I think your point about using climate as a bioweapon and geopolitical conflict was really, really interesting to me because it's definitely been a point of conversations that I've been in before about how war can ruin the environment and the effects it can have 
on civilians who are caught in the crossfire. But I think that really helped me to link the two of those together. That's a perspective that I hadn't considered before. And definitely something really important to consider with the overall impact that these conflicts have on civilians and on the environment overall for the future. So yeah, and then to connect kind of more into technology and medicine, how does innovation in medical technology improve access to healthcare? And are there any particularly exciting advances um, in digital health that you would like to tell us about that maybe you're involved in? Uh, this is a really important question. And, you know, again, you're the connected generation uh, very much. Look, during COVID, and you started this podcast during COVID, the pandemic was both a setback in public health and a wake-up call. And for the first time, we really lowered the barrier to telehealth. And, and so certainly technology, you know, becomes a, a sort of a platform of which we can access health. But more than that, technology is actually the assembly of knowledge. You've heard the term AI. It's often referred to, I believe, incorrectly as artificial intelligence. I would counter that and say, there's no such thing as artificial intelligence. All intelligence is organic in its root. So I call it augmented intelligence. It's the massing of your knowledge and my knowledge, your brother's knowledge, your classmates' knowledge, all coming together within a platform. So I think the greatest advances we're going to see is, first of all, in access to care using, obviously, the screen, right? No telehealth as one aspect of being able for people in remote areas to access good care. But more importantly, it's going to be the ability to take information and, and diagnostic tools combine them through AI and diagnosis and come up to with better, faster, more action-oriented diagnoses. And, and this is mission critical. You know, we see a lot of false negatives and a lot of false positives in aspects of irregular breast scans, mammographies. Is it cancerous? Is it not cancerous? Is it precancerous? We see a lot of this in terms of heart disease, particularly with women having EKGs and coming out with a false negative when actually they are at risk for heart disease. I think technology ideally should create a level playing field among gender around people who live in urban areas and rural areas. I think it's going to improve care in remote areas in emerging nations where we want access care. So I think technology is a platform for us to access better care faster. And I think that could be a lifesaver. There are some setbacks. Senior citizens, may face technological discrimination. We've got to address that. Try to get someone who's in their late 80s or early 90s who's cognitively sharp but isn't necessarily technologically savvy. How are we going to deal with that? And we know that's a problem. During COVID, when, when seniors were trying to schedule appointments online, if they couldn't master the system, it said, click here. And then it said, what was the answer when you clicked there? It said, find someone in your home household who knows how to use technology. Well, that's not a solution to someone who's in their late 80s who needs a health visit. Um, we've got to fix that equity divide. We have people who don't have access to technology. Um, that th This is not a third world problem. This is a first world problem. We should not assume that people who live in economic areas of of, of tight economic circumstances. They have the same technology tools that you and I might be blessed to have. We've got to figure that out. So in this country, the United States, we pay a great deal for internet access. In other countries, actually, in some countries, it's free. It's considered like air. 
So here it's a profit-based industry. We've got to figure all this out fairly and equitably. So technology can definitely speed our path to diagnosis, better preventive care, and better solutions for when disease does appear. Flip side, it can create great health disparities. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I think this is definitely a great point that you brought up about the accessibility of technology itself, because in a lot of conversations we've had on this podcast, especially in this season, focusing on digital health, we've talked about how much technology can really broaden the horizons of accessibility for so many different services, especially healthcare. But I think it's also important to recognize the accessibility of the technology itself, like you said. And it's important to remember that even in places like in America, that doesn't mean that every single person has access to technology or, like you said, knows how to operate it, even if they have that kind of access. And especially when considering senior citizens who may need a lot of help with healthcare that can benefit from using these technologies at home, for example, but need to kind of get past that learning curve. I think that's definitely a conversation that we need to have more often. So yeah, this was really great. And it really broadened my perspective too. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. I'm sure that our listeners had a wonderful time hearing our conversation. And again, in the description, we'll have all the information about um, your radio show, Medical Life, and the other books and things that we've mentioned for people to discuss further. So yeah, is there anything else that you would like to add? I, I want to applaud you and, and you. listeners of the show. First of all, if you're listening to the program, applause to you. This is a great endeavor. First of all, I, I have to say that the topics you're exploring are extraordinary. And when's the time to begin now? I think the show has reminded me that we all have a stake in these issues and that solutions can come from everywhere and that um, people who are beginning the journey of transition from the primary education into the university world and beyond are our great allies in this, the passion that you have, the excitement you have, and the belief that each of us can make a difference inspires me. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Of course. And thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you.